Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is. Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. All right, Reed, I've got a question for you. Yep. Is it true that Avery is a far better fisherman than Cody? Uh, hit record and go. I get, you know, yeah, I got to be cautious. Is Cody, what? Yeah, go. No, no, no I wasn't I was asking saying. Cody. I was asking you, Reed. <laughs> okay, all right. Avery may be a more enthusiastic and a more competitive angler than Cody. But I think when they're, you know, when the rubber meets the road, Cody might put up the numbers a little bit better. But Avery's post game, her kind of like, you know, back at the lodge having cocktails, far, far outdoes Cody's abilities in that front. So I would say she kind of wins in the end. And she's, and, you know, she's better looking. So there's that. That was like, here's the real deal Reed's never fished with us. <laughs> but that was that was the most spot on analysis of Avery and I's fishing relationship that could have ever happened. I mean that that's yeah, exactly right. spot on. <laughs> she's she uh, she's uh, uh she's also right over there <laughs> looking. I at look, her. I am the reason I asked the question is that I'm well familiar with Avery's abilities post fish, right. Or right. post hunt <laughs> or post anything actually right. um but uh she i have seen some fish photographs of avery that have put cody's fish to shame so i just didn't yeah. know if that had happened to belize or not uh again i wasn't out there with them but um she was i would say that of the group and it was a it was a big group avery was far and away the most uh eager angler out there wanted to get it done which was Reed, cool do you, this... do you work in politics <laughs> i'm dodging i'm i'm dodging here i'm <laughs> i should here's probably the, here's, here's the deal my wife is an incredible professional work in in, in the i mean she's a, in, amazing at her job very hard working incredible mom 
it just so happens that you guys are both people who have been around her when she's in party mode. Um, and she goes hard. She goes hard. Hard in the paint, indeed. And, and you know, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to be in Belize and, and be, be quiet and subdued? And then Robbie, I think, Robbie, the only time you've ever been around her is at hunting shows, right? Which That's she right. absolutely hates. Like she's <laughs> not a fan of the lines and lines of booths of buy my knife or come hunt at my place. She did, it's not her thing. So, I mean, if the sun's up at a hunting show, she's, she's open to a bottle of wine. But uh, she is a very, very good trout fisherman. Um, very good and, and has been doing it for less than two years. Um, but, uh, yeah, she got frustrated with the tarp and, and not with the rum punch. That's what happened. Exactly. But to that, to that point, which, which I think is important to, to make this point, um, uh, in light of the fact that Avery's not here to defend herself, that, uh, what I loved about your group and what I loved about Avery in particular was like, there to fish, super stoked on fishing, wanted to catch fish, kind of not competitive, but, you know, dialed, dialed up about that aspect. Maybe a little competitive, maybe. Not competitive outside of our group. She's happy for right. everyone oh, yeah, yeah. else. But the four, of us, the four of us that were there together, she wanted to destroy us. That's, that's, she's very. But, but never lost that kind of lighthearted, hey, it's still a party. So it's like all in good fun, which yeah, that's like the happy. To me, like that's the 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 magical balance is like go go strong, you know, play the mm -hmm. game, but like don't lose sight of the fact that like this is it's a it's we're on vacation, you know, mm -hmm. and and you guys, your crew, never lost sight of that, which is something that I really appreciate because people, it's crazy, you know, people do these things where they well, I, and I'm not trying to shift gears here, but like one of the things that I see in just my line of work being in kind of sporting travel, and I'm sure you guys have seen this too. People go on these vacations and they've anticipated and they want to succeed and they have this result in their head. And then they do something that's like far and away crazier, cooler, more radical than they've ever done in their lives. And it's a letdown because like they didn't achieve the thing they set out to do, whatever it is in their head. Like you guys were super flexible on that front of just like you had things you wanted to do in terms of like catching this species of fish or catching big fish or doing this or doing that. But like it was still, you, know, you never... Put it this way, like you never lost sight of like the fun of the rum drinks at the end of the day. And that's super important, you know, on vacation. Like it's vacation. It should be fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, technically, I mean, that was honestly was actually supposed to be our honeymoon in September. Um, so that was our our honeymoon. Um and and it's Belize. And I, I think we're both very cognizant of what the weather did to us. I mean, the weather uh. The yeah. weather on that trip made a difficult proposition 10 times harder, 15 times way, harder way than it harder, already was. For sure. yeah. um, and then we're both completely aware. And we knew this going in from talking to, to Reed and, and Dan and the other folks at Orvis Travel. Um, we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, we live in Colorado, 10 minutes from 30 miles of gold medal waters has jack crap to do with right. trying to catch a tarpon on a fly reel, right? right? It has nothing to do with it. Um, and so, no, we, we like to keep perspective and, and, and have fun. And, and uh, it was a great trip. And uh, I'm already on my quest for my next tarpon trip because I am going <laughs> to catch a big tarpon on a fly reel. There you go. Right on. Well, that's, it's, it's a good intro because a lot of people, you know, Blood Origins as a brand, as an organization, as a platform, as a message, as a whatever you want to call us, you don't often get to hear about or get to know the people behind the scenes. Hmm. Because it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about Cody. It's not about anyone. It's about the, the, the community and what we do. And so hmm. stuff like this, you know, people getting a little bit of a backstory to Cody's wife. Uh, <laughs> we've got... We've got Cody's own podcast coming out here in July. And like Cody, Cody, Cody as a guest or Cody as a... Cody oh. as a guest. Oh, excellent. Very good. Yeah, to get to know Cody. And we've got a phenomenal piece of artwork tied to Cody's podcast, which is Cody when he was 18 years old, his senior high school picture. Oh, basketball, this is Basketball and a football under both arms saying, you know, look at the size of my balls, <laughs> essentially, right? 
He's such an asshole, Reed. I sent the picture. I sent this dorky senior picture. I sent him like eight hunting pictures. I sent him Africa pictures. I sent him live fishing pictures. pictures. Right. Yeah, I sent him great trout pictures. And as a joke, like three minutes later, because I had done the facial recognition search for my face to see pictures of me to send to him on my phone. And I sent this goofy ass senior picture and he published it as the right. cover art of my podcast. So you you can't trust Robbie at all. Okay. I mean, there's Good to know. Good that. to know. <laughs> well, to uh, without, without further ado, let's introduce our guest. We've had him talking for quite some time. Naturally, it sounds like he works for Orvis. Uh, so Reed, why don't you give us a little introduction to who you are? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Reed Bryant. I'm the uh, endorsed operations, one of three endorsed operations managers for the Orvis company. And uh, for those that don't know Orvis, it's a it's a pretty cool story, backstory. Orvis was founded in 1856. It's the oldest catalog company in the world. So like older Sears than Roebuck, LL Beam? Older than Sears Roebuck, going all the way back. So, you know, legions of old Vermonters were wiping their bum with the uh with the Orvis catalog pages back in the day or so we would like to maybe not think but nonetheless um early early catalog kind of adopt adoptive company or that was kind of how they got the word out fly tackle company evolved over a period of uh, just about 100 years um until its current ownership purchased it in 1965 the or uh, the Perkins family I should say is in its third generation of ownership of the Orvis company and the brand is basically does a has its hand in a lot of different businesses, but at the core of the brand is it's a fly fishing um, tackle and experience company, as well as a wing shooting product and experience company. So the ownership of the company, the Perkins family, just avid, 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 and incredibly um, skilled and and experienced and accomplished uh, fly anglers, bird hunters, bird dog people, um, travelers, and just really passionate outdoors people, great conservationists. And um, so what I do in my job is I work with destinations around the world, really, where we have great wing shooting experiences that we can steer our customers to. So, you know, it's one of those things where I'm always embarrassed to, to say that my job is to go identify great destinations around the world, vet those destinations, get to know them, and hopefully um, steer our customers to great experiences at those destinations. And like I met Cody on a on a fly fishing trip. I I dabble a little on the fly fishing side too. Actually, prior to working at Orvis, probably had more experience on the fly fishing side, but have just had a longstanding passion for bird hunting, um, shotguns, that whole scene. And that's uh that's kind of what got me into the into the role or, or focused my interest in that role. But um yeah, I'm I have one of the best jobs in the world. Pretty pretty lucky guy. And uh, did and, you did you grow up a bird hunter? Dad was a bird hunter. No, ironically, I didn't. But it's funny, even as I was a little kid, I grew up outside of Boston, greater Boston and um, suburban town. And I had a mother that was very anti-gun. You know, it wasn't a comfortable thing for her to to have guns in the house or anything like that. My dad had hunted a little as a kid, but it was just something that, you know, I think it's funny, like thinking about the the term and concept of blood origins, like it was something that from the earliest I can remember I wanted to hunt birds and I can't tell you why. Like I didn't cool. see people doing it. It wasn't something that was modeled to me or, or sort of positioned as an aspirational thing to do. But um, it was just something I was interested in. And, uh, and as I got older and had more opportunity to get to know people that did it, specifically when I was about 18, I went to 18, 19, went to college in Northeastern Vermont, really rural community where hunting was a part of the part of the culture, part of the, the kind of, I would say like, um, you know, fabric of the, of the region and, um, got to have some mentors, some people who were kind enough to teach me to, to give me access, you know, that I had never had before. Got just all went all in, learned about dogs, learned about birds, learned about guns. Um, and, and it just was a, a downward spiral from there and, um, kind of went deep. And, and as I got, um, as I got more involved in it, you know, over a period of time, my early uh, career was in education, but then got to a point where I just wanted to, um, to scratch that itch, you know, and just see what it felt like to be in the awesome. industry to go all in and, and was incredibly fortunate to get the opportunity to do so. So that's kind of what awesome. landed me here. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, welcome to the roundup. Uh, we like to, you know, discuss different topics that have come up during the week. And we've got a, a good lineup this week of topics and articles and 
We'll ask your opinion on some of them. Cody tends to disagree with our guests. Every okay, <laughs> good. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> look, the reason I give Cody such crap is because he's the only one that needles me all the time. So yeah. I have to get my shots in whenever I can. Yeah, right on. <laughs> a lot of a lot of people think the fact that he's a doctor, like not a real doctor. Why, have you, why are you putting air quotes around doctor? <laughs> and and I have accent. a PhD, doctor, Dr. Kroger. Right. Yeah, Dr. Dr. Kroger. And then the accent, people are like, oh, this guy's must be smart or something. And and I just I I met him in bear camp and he's been to the same bear camp like 14 years in a row and never got a bear. <laughs> so I I make fun of him. And I got a bear the third day I ever bear hunted in my life. I'm like, this is not a complicated process. And uh so anyway, that's our relationship. I make fun of Robbie and he pretends to be a doctor. That's the story okay. of Blood Origins. <laughs> now I get it. Now I get the, the scene. The story of Blood Origins wrapped up. Yeah. Well, a uh, couple of things from an admin perspective. Uh, since this roundup will drop in July, we have a new giveaway for our supporters program. And we've got some phenomenal, phenomenal, like literally July is the month. It's my birthday month. We just celebrated Blood Origins' birthday on June the 28th. We've only been going for four years. Unbelievable, man. It feels like a lot longer. But it's, imagine, it's amazing what we've accomplished in four years. I can't wait to see what we do in the next four years, essentially. But we've got some cool gifts. We've got gifts, giveaways, whatever you want to call them. We've got a, a, a custom piece of art by a guy called Nicholas Coleman. Cody, you haven't seen it yet. Or maybe you have. I haven't seen lion. the art, but I've seen Nicholas Coleman. He's, he's sketched, he's painted a lion, a beautiful male lion, and he's going to frame it up and everything. I don't know how much the painting costs, a thousand bucks, thousand five hundred bucks, probably more, but he's giving it away to us. Um, we have the elephant kangaroo rifle sling from Teton Leather Company that someone's going to run, $550 worth of sling. And Blood Origins, uh, yeah, these guys support us, but we don't get stuff for free. I bought uh, myself a sling, and I bought Cody a sling. When's your birthday, Cody? Happy birthday for when your birthday is. <laughs> uh, next week, because you hustle it up. Nice, I will. I'll try to do that. Uh, $200 gift card to QU. We've got a Havelina hunt. We've got a $300 gift card to Spartan Precision Bipods. We have a silverware knife. We have Crimson Talon broadheads, several discount codes. It's an amazing July. You know, the, the only thing that would make it better, Cody, is if we had... I'm sorry, Reed. I'm sorry, Reed. Is if we had an Orvis flower. Orvis, I figured you were going to say, I'll see what I can do. I'll get the uh, I'll get the wheels in motion. We'll see what we got. <laughs> I don't know that I can say anything right now. I'll get myself in trouble, but I'll see what we can do. No, that's fine. No, I, I didn't mean to back you into a corner, but <laughs> maybe, maybe I did. Maybe I did. Hey, re really quickly, Robbie, the first... Um, the first five originals on Nicholas Coleman's website go uh, 15,000, 14,000, 18,000, 9,000. What? Um, yeah. So it, you're joking. No, I pulled it up because I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want it going out that you thought his art was worth $1,000 and then we not correct it. Nicholas is a, is a slightly more established artist than that. Yes. Wow, and he has some some trout artwork that, you know, I'm gonna renegotiate my Blood Origins salary to hopefully buy some of his trout artwork someday. It's incredible. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I screwed that one up, but amazing, amazing piece of artwork. Um, we also have our shop. Don't forget our shop. We got t-shirts selling, and we might have hats very soon. Got a hat negotiation going on, but I love when. Listen to this. When someone reaches out to us, right? Like, you know, I spend a lot of my time calling companies and say, hey, Blood Origins is really cool. Can you help us out? I love it when they call us. And a hat, a hat uh, designer, manufacturer. Secede. Secede or Secede. I'm messing yeah. up. But here in Mississippi, a local hat company in Mississippi contacted us um they kind of I, I went to their website they kind of focus um on outdoor stuff not exclusively but they have a lot of outdoor stuff um it just makes me excited when someone contacts us and says hey we'd love to help you guys with hats 
um, and work with you because we know you're a nonprofit, right? It wasn't a sales call. It was a we want to help you call. Um, so, yeah, we, we've had issues with getting hats delivered internationally has been a complicated process for us on our budget. That's the status. And we now um, have a very, very viable solution coming from an offer of help. So check out the shop. We got a lot of cool stuff in the shop. Yep. And we'll have more as we get closer to Christmas, having a bunch of collaborations, one with Teton Leather Company, hopefully. Uh, we do know that Dog and Gun Coffee, who's one of the sponsors of, these, of this podcast. Um, did I tell you this, Cody? Dog and Gun Coffee, I spoke with them because I've heard a couple of bits of feedback here in the States. Like, man, do they make a darker roast? Because they have this darkest roast called Sambar. So they name their coffees after their different, after different animals. Chamois, chamois is their lightest roast. Then they have red stag, their medium roast, and they have sambar, which is their darkest roast. But it's not really dark in, in American standards. And the guy was like, you guys like it burnt. And I said, pretty much. I said, we need to, we need to figure out a coffee collaboration with you, Dog and Gun, and we'll call it Black Death. Nice. Mm. And Black Death, I don't know if you've been to Africa, Reed, but Black Death is what you call Buffalo, Cape Buffalo. Oh, in, okay. And so you could use the Buffalo logo and even make it an Australian Buffalo and call it Black Death. Right. That's great. Anyway, um, so yeah, I've got lots of things on the horizon. We're very, very excited. We just announced Success Untold today, our next conservation project, uh, a documentary about a success that has never been told around hunting in South Africa. Uh, we actually are way ahead of the game in that we filmed it already. And we put the, the film together and it is turning out beautifully. It is turning out like, it, it blew my mind. Cody saw it pretty good. And, eh? it, and it's fully funded. So it's on my list of favorite projects already. I move it over to the projects to enjoy once they're fully funded. I stress about this list and this list is the fun list. So it's fully funded. Um, and it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be incredible. It's, the, it's, the, it's a great, great piece. We recently had someone who I hate being secretive, but there's no point in saying who this was, but the CEO of a major, major hunting company say to us on a phone call, what do I say to people who ask me how anyone could go hunt Africa? Hunt and, a rhino, hunt an elephant in Africa. Right. And, and I'm telling you right now, what you'll do after we release this project is send him the link to this video because it's incredible. It explains it. It's factual um, and it's actual people on the ground. It's not American celebrity activists claiming they know what's best for other people in other parts of the world. So it's, it's a great, great piece of film. Well, talking about South Africa, Reed, ever been to South Africa? I have not, but you know, it's funny. I, I, I've been in conversation with a, a couple folks over the last several years. I was supposed to go Basically, I was supposed to go in uh, May of the year that COVID hits. What was that? It's all a blur. Like la last May? I don't even know. Yep. Two Mays ago. And um, uh, fell through because of COVID. So I have not, but I'm very eager to go both there and Botswana. I have some contacts in Botswana for bird Great shooting. bird shooting in yeah. South Africa. Un undiscovered gem of bird shooting. Franklin's and uh, guinea fowl, either driven or walk up. Mm. Um, some Sand grouse. Bird yeah, Sand waterfowl, grouse. all kinds of good stuff, yeah. So, um, so talking about South Africa, they have unfortunately entered into stage four COVID lockdown in South Africa that was announced this week, uh, but doesn't mean very much for traveling hunters. Hunters can still get in there. The COVID protocols are still the same. Um, it's pretty much limited to Gauteng, which is Joburg where you, where you fly in. Uh, you still have to go through all the normal protocols, present a negative COVID test. Honestly, I went to South Africa in April. There's more stringent COVID protocols in South Africa than there are in America. Hmm. So it's super safe. I would go if you've got a safari, still go. You're going to have a phenomenal time. Just like you were saying, you know, when people go on fishing destinations, I was thinking about that when, you know, they get so worked up, you know, just enjoy it. Let yeah. the people who know best, they're going to, they're going to give you the time of your life. Yeah. Just yeah. let them give you the time of your life. It's funny uh, when I read you shared a, a link and I don't know if, if I can just jump right in. Yeah, um, jump into it. Come on, let's go. I was, I traveled a bit in May. I didn't travel for, and I travel generally 
at least once a month for work, um, usually continental U.S., but, but a little international. And one of the things that I found, it's so hard, you know, and I even in, in having this conversation, I'm, I'm sort of, I don't know, being like thoughtful, picking my words just because, you know, COVID and travel and sort of safety and people's, people's sense of safety, personal, personal sense of safety, which is relative to the individual, um, has been, I think, politicized in this country in, a, in an interesting way, in a way that makes it a challenging conversation to have at times. But uh, I traveled to um, uh, Mexico in early May for turkey hunt, uh, oscillated turkeys down in Campeche or inland of Campeche, Mexico, um, with some friends. And the thing that really struck me was how in the little city of Campeche, which is a, a small city on the Yucatan Peninsula, but the... Um, the just sort of general and non-energized sense of like, hey, wash your hands, do these things, keep yourself, you know, it's just sort of like live and let live, <laughs> but like we're going to do these things and it's all going to be okay and then we're going to keep living life. And to me, coming off of a year where I felt like things were so charged on both sides, on all sides, you know, it was um, it was really refreshing to just boil it down to kind of like wash your hands. Stays. I mean, because this here's is the a, stuff here's like, a hand sanitizer pump at the front of the store. Pump it, put it on your hands. Yeah, and don't get no. Nobody's getting angry about that. It's cool. Go drink beer. Go do whatever. But like, this is just what you do. And um, you know, when I was when I was thinking about South Africa in the same um perspective of of people in the hunting, you know, because I'm basically in the sporting travel business and more or less, and um, uh, and just thinking as the world reopens, you know. It, I don't want to speak for everybody, but there's, I think internationally, um, especially there's just a slightly different take on just how to like be sure. thoughtful, be safe, be healthy. Any, you know, a lot of the stuff is the same stuff we would do anyway, you know, if it weren't such a, such a hot button topic, um, just like take care of yourself. Cause you want to have a great vacation and you, you don't want to get sick. And also you don't want to, you know, be, be putting, I don't know. It just, it's been a it's been a tricky year around public health, <laughs> to say mm -hmm. the least. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, uh, you know, go to South Africa, even though the COVID is ramped up there, um, it's still safe. As as Reed just said, be smart, enjoy yourself. Reed, do you? I know there's a couple of others. We've got a, quite a few other articles on the on the docket. Um, as the guest, why don't you why don't you pick the next one? Oh shoot! I gotta pull up my uh, pull up, pull up my links here. You know, there was the, um, I was interested in the one about the, uh, Tasmanian devil reintroduction <laughs> okay. by and lar you, largely because, uh, because uh, the idea of a Tasmanian devil, like forever, I thought that was a fake thing. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, you did? The Tasmanian devil? Yeah. It's, it's a wonder, it's no, like a tattoo, right. you know, your, the kid gets in high school, right? Like it was a, it was a cartoon when, when, uh, when I was the kid, it was a Warner Brothers cartoon, like came on after Bugs Bunny. Um, yeah, I, we got it in South Africa. Are you guys at? Oh, I think uh, I almost made a, a South African joke there, but I didn't want to insult any other South Africans other than you, so I didn't do it. But that, that I think a lot of us in the United States, like you know, Somewhere when we started watching nature documentaries in our 20s or something, we're like, holy shit, that's a real animal. I don't think we knew. I think right. we thought it was a cartoon character for the longest time. I put that on the list. Oh, 100%. I put that on the list um, and not in any super serious way for us to deal with for a long time. Um, it it kind of, to me, was a predator control um, topic there that you, that, you know, the whole... Uh, the argument when people come back to us and say, if you just let nature do its thing, it will even out. Um, not really, not, not really. It won't. There's no more penguins on that Island because the Tasmanian devils went crazy. It, to me, yeah, it, was, so, it was, it was a predator controlled argument basically. So the article's title, the article's title just for everyone's edification is reintroduction of Tasmanian devils to Australian Island wipes out entire population of little penguins and the subtitle is it's very clear that the devils had a have had a catastrophic ecological impact what's cuter than a little penguin too 
That's got to be <laughs> that right. is a grim thing to watch. But uh, this, oh my gosh, it would have been a it would have been a bloodbath, blood I'm sure. And I, the thing that, that left out to me about that one is I had a conversation with a fellow, good friend of mine, a guy named Tim Linehan, who's an outfitter up in Northwest Montana in the Yak Valley, who does um uh, does bird hunts, trout fishes, um, uh, does predator hunts, does whitetail hunts, does all kinds. It really just a one of the last great, or not last, but one of those great, well-rounded outdoorsmen that that has guided it all, done it all in a really wild part of, of North America. And I remember talking to him because I, like my gut react, and I'll just be candid, like I'm not a predator hunter. Like it's just not something that speaks to me. I don't, I don't, I don't know why. It's just like not my thing for whatever reason. Um, and uh we were talking about wolf hunting and and his perspective, and this was really eye-opening. This is a really thoughtful guy who's been out there, boots on the ground for years and years and years. I mean, probably 200, some odd, 250 more, mm-hmm. 300 days a year guiding. And, um, you know, his whole perspective was like, you can't, the rationale or the, or the thought process of like, let it, let it just balance itself out naturally. We unfortunately, it would be a beautiful thing if we could do that. It would be a beautiful thing if there was an ecosystem which was so outside of the impacts of humanity that that was possible. But it isn't. We, everything's managed. Everything is, a, everything is out of its natural balance or in its natural balance, which includes humans. And I thought humans. this was such an right. interesting perspective. Is like, oh, so now there's a responsibility not just to to walk away and sort of throw up our hands and say like you guys figured it out it's like would you you know in a i don't know in like a playground fight if you're the teacher would you just like put up your hands and be like you whoever's whoever's left of the fifth graders at the end of this is probably the good ones you know like you wouldn't do that you can't right. do that and because we're creating a structure within which management our impacts environmental impacts all this it's just not a natural system anymore or it is a natural system that includes in the equation the variable of humans and i think that you know this is a great example of that um and it just happened to revolve around tasmanian devils which i thought forever were just a cartoon so here you go well the, exactly the, the conversation that- i was hoping for when i put it on there small jokes about tasmanian devils as cartoon <laughs> characters and then a valid predator management conversation to happen which i i I love the premise that you you gave those two options there read of you know it's it's not a it's either a not natural anymore because there's eight billion humans on the earth but i more so like it is still a natural habitat that eight billion humans are a part of and that makes it different than when there was 50 million humans on the earth it's a different world um, and if we want to have the most success possible in conservation, um, it, it takes management. And I still don't think anyone has come up with a concept where zero of that management can be lethal. I, I just, I, I think that that's, that's part of it in the predator world. Um, you know. I think that the ghosts of the penguins agree with me. That that was my point in posting. Well, a couple of anecdotes to it is that I think what you're thinking about, Reed, is the Tasmanian tiger. The Tasmanian tiger is extinct, by the way. Mm, um, okay. But the, the Tasmanian devil is very much alive. Uh, secondly, it didn't quite just knock out the penguins. It knocked out a medium-sized petrel as well on the island. So it went after two birds. And this is the conundrum in that there is obviously a group of individuals with the Save the Tasmanian Devil program that is interested in reintroducing predators, Tasmanian devils, and and increasing their population. There's also likely a pectoral penguin bird type association that is interested in increasing bird populations. Right. And in sort of from an ecological perspective nobody thought to just say let's put two or three tasmanian devils in here and see how the bird community reacts to them and maybe they'll evolve some strategies to potentially mitigate complete annihilation Mm. but instead they put 28 tasmanian devils in back in 2012 and 2013 and because there was an enormous food source available 
they reproduced like crazy mm. and created more Tasmanian devils because there was lots of food available. Yeah. Does it sound, yeah. Does it sound anything at all like someone deciding that we should have a law in Colorado that forces 250 wolves? I mean, that's that's honestly where it resonated with me was I'm in favor yeah, of supporting wolves reestablishing in their territory. But in the state of Colorado, we just decided we're going to put 250 of them here. Since then, an entire pack has been found. And two weeks ago, the first litter of new pups in 80 years in Colorado was discovered. Yep. And we're still going to add 250. We don't, we, that, that's just a number. It's not, let's put wolves back in slowly, study it, watch it. It's, let's go to the wolf Walmart and get 250 of them and airdrop them into Colorado. Um, that's not true. Wildlife and Parks is doing a good slow, st but they have a three. They have three years to get 250 of them out there by the law. So, anyway, that's why I posted the article. I think what's interesting too, and not to dwell too heavily on this this topic, but one of the things that's that's so curious to me about subjects like this is that there's no there's no true north, right? Like what it comes down to is is we can scientifically and management wise create whatever result we want to create but there's no collective agreement on what that result should be right so it's it comes down to this weird like uh, it's like it's it's almost i don't want to say political because it's not really political but it's more like how do you create a collective uh a, like majority rule like let's all vote that this is how we go and in fact that is what happens a lot of the time but it's usually based less on the science and the you know sort of the long-term repercussions of our actions and what you know what's the trickle down when we do this who else is impacted what other species what other environmental impacts occur I'm getting too deep in the weeds and I apologize but it's just like it's interesting to me that like we can get whatever result by and large, we want to get. It's just deciding collectively on like, what does that result want to look like? And, you know, if if only we all were able to, um, I don't know, it's a, it's like, you know, whatever, like, let's all hug and dance around a campfire, which is not going to happen. But like the, the idea being that like, if we could all agree better and think about the the greater holistic health of the ecosystem or whatever, what would that look like? And I don't, I just think we, before we ever land there, people's emotions get involved and we don't really look at the, at the science and that's, is what it is. It's human nature, I guess. But. And unfortunately not to get very political, but special interest groups, not, not met with zero negative connotation. Um, like for instance, a save the Tasmanian special interest group, hmm. Tasmanian devil did their job very well. Right. They, they reestablished a really healthy population. And instead of like you were talking about no one or they weren't going, what's best for this island? Mm. They were just going, we want more devils. Yeah. And again, I'm not knocking them. It's cool that they're trying to to reestablish those things. But I, I liked what you said about the what we've got to focus on is what's the best for everything. You know, mm -hmm. what's the best for the ecosystem? Um, and those species specific groups, sometimes, not always, I mean, Ducks Unlimited has done incredible things for fish and bugs and shorebirds too. You know, I, I don't think they're a duck only organization, but uh, what's best for the ecosystem? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean to make it, to, and, and again, um, Robbie, steer us if we're getting too deep on this one, but uh you know, one of the things that I see right at my back door, I'm looking at my window, I live in southern Vermont, and I'm looking at the Green Mountain National Forest, essentially, which is largely like a climax forest. It's a mature forest, and it's not changing. And what I, I remember um, years ago, and you guys, I'm sure remember, like Smokey the Bear, like don't start forest fires, right? Which is great. Like don't start for kids, don't start forest fires, not a good idea. But this was a fire dependent ecosystem at one point where there was wildfires that would burn, regeneration, second growth, a complex age forest, which perpetuated things like white-tailed deer, rough grouse that I love to hunt, um, you know, and even number of songbirds and all these other species. And we, 
got to a place where like fires are bad, fires are scary. And indeed that's true in, you know, in, in a populated environment. So we have no fires here now. We don't have catastrophic weather events that knock back our forest. Timber harvest is gone because the industry is what it is. And also we have a, a, a largely, um, what am I trying to say, like a tourist population that wants to see big green forests. And you drive into the mm-hmm. state and you look at it and you say, boy, that's beautiful. Look at those hillsides. Those hillsides, it's not a healthy forest because it's not a regenerating right. forest. And so, so you think about like, just like you're saying, those special interest groups or those 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 uh, largely broadly held perceptions of what is good and what is bad that drives the ship in the end. And it doesn't necessarily equate to a healthy ecosystem. It may equate to a pretty ecosystem. It may equate to like lots of cute little penguins or lots of cool looking Tasmanian devils, but it doesn't necessarily mean there's an integration of all of those forces to make something that's actually operating at its at its peak you know uh efficiency or whatever you want to say i don't know that's my take and maybe that's unfounded spot on spot on yeah Yeah, look reed cody said that i would like you (laughs) you're speaking you're you're speaking my language um you know i'm an ecologist by training and that's exactly right when you take the natural processes out of these systems the regenerative processes of fire that you know that a rough grouse would need mm. to survive there's no wonder why rough grouse are on the decline oh, majorly fast across yeah. across the us and it's probably the thing that people don't know the le- you know they know the least about and don't even have a clue mm. that rough grouse are tanking mm. tanking in the us in a big way yeah it's, it's scary i love the idea of of um the uh the deer project guys cody have picked up the whole idea of, you know, whitetail managers across the US is huge. Whitetail do a lot of habitat improvement projects. They do a lot of TSI, which is Cody Timber Stand Improvement Practices, just for you. Um, and um, and uh, they were tying those two things together. So can whitetail deer people become rough grouse people? Mm. Can they sort of work? together yeah in the rough grouse world and oddly enough and we've been talking to rough grouse society a lot about this oddly enough so too you know if you have a regenerating and again i'm I'm being somewhat myopic and looking at the the by and large like that northeast forest ecosystem but you know if you have a regenerating forest not only are you going to have those game species that we're excited to go out there and shoot which is going to be unpalatable to a lot of people but you're going to for the birders you know the bird watchers there's going to be wildly more diversity of 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 songbirds and and small mammals you know all of this it's just it it's all interrelated and i think that that's where the polarization happens is you get in your camp of like no i'm a i'm a, you know you your your special interest to cody's point is rough grouse and killing them or white-tailed deer and killing them and i think I don't know if the hunting industry's done a great job kind of crossing the aisle. You know, I think there's been times when we haven't. Um, but at the same time, I don't know that the other has done a great job. You know, we're both in our camps. And until we see that, like, the the, the animals don't really give. Yeah, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Like, is that okay? Cody swears all the time. Okay, good. Yeah, Cody swears all the time. You can bleed me out. But, like, you know, in the end, the ecosystem doesn't really give a shit, like, what you prefer if it's all healthy, right. you know? Right. Yep. 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 Have you, um, just, uh, keeping on the upland bird topic, cause you know, we had penguins and <laughs> we try to keep this little, we try to keep this all little right. birdie right. for you. Yeah. It was like subtle, but I got it. I was like, oh, where's it. the best Orvis endorsed penguin operation. <laughs> you know, what kills me and I shouldn't, I can't despair. I'm not going to say it. Sorry. I've, I just, I've gotten better in my old age. I just turned 45 and my wife is very happy that I've, gotten better about like stopping myself before I say disparaging things. But um, there are some interesting birds that you can shoot very legally and and with a guide out there in the world uh, that you would you would be appalled at. So I'm not going to go any further than that. But uh, anyway, made me think of it when uh, when you mentioned the. Um, so have you uh, have you done grouse shooting in the moors of Scotland? Never read grouse. I would love to. But um. Unless it, 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 we can start like a, a what is it Patreon? Uh, someone needs to fundraise for me to go and shoot red grouse to the tune of whatever it is, two hundred pounds a brace a day or something like that. No, I yeah, haven't done it. Exactly. I'd like to. 
I just really like to. Well, you are lucky in that you will be able to still do it in the future because the UK MPs decided that science is going to win out. And it was quite an amazing debate. If you want to watch it, everyone just Google uh, grouse shooting debate on YouTube. You can get it. It's an hour and a half debate and you can listen to every single. It's a fascinating. It's, a, it's, a, it's almost a fascinating situation because we don't have it here in the US. It's a parliament. You have 11 MPs around the table and they essentially debate and they're very cordial in how they address each other. There's no like yelling or screaming or whatnot, but you're allowed to go back and forth. And these guys had been prepped by the shooting organizations, the Upland Bird organizations in the, in the UK. And these guys had their facts, even though they didn't like it. Some of them said they don't, they don't like hunting. They don't like shooting. It's undeniable, the environmental, economic, and societal benefits. Mm. It was incredible. Mm. And there was, you know, the typical anti side, the special interest groups that just got absolutely murdered. Mm -hmm. Essentially, their argument got destroyed. Yeah, it happened in 2016 as well. Same thing happened. And now I think the best thing about it is that the credibility is almost getting eroded mm. of this of the people behind that, you know, the special interest organization that keeps firing up everyone saying, they're killing raptors, they're killing raptors. Yet they presented data that said hen harrier populations have never been higher on moors that allow grouse shooting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, what are you selling us now? You're selling us, you know? Cody, you had something to say. You were getting fired no, up. I did, that's it. I, I love the facts. I mean, yeah. the, 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 I think we have to just start looking at these people and going, okay, if, if you don't want, grouse hunters to be the ones to take care of these places you do it you and that's you, yeah you take yeah, you yeah. take care of these places because you're using emotion and lies to counter the facts that because of these people just like i said before with ducks unlimited or whitetail hunters or the entire hunting industry in africa though those places that are managed properly there's more animals there than there used to be. And there's more non-game species there. And the ecosystem is healthier. And there's, there's no one that does more. And I think that, you know, not that I'm going to go spend an hour and a half watching a bunch of MPs debate this. Um, that's, I, have, I would rather staple my thumb to my forehead. But the fact that they sat down, discussed it, looked at the facts, and people who were against the overarching concept of shooting birds still voted to let them continue to do it because it's the best thing for everyone. It, granted, except that bird that, that catches the shotgun shells, not the best thing for him. But that bird will go away if that hunting goes away. That bird's species will go away. So I, I, love, I love the facts. I love being on the side of the facts. It sucks sometimes that we are on the side that counters the initial re emotional reaction a lot of times. Um, and that, uh, that can get difficult. But we, uh, I, I love being on the side of the facts. I think the problem in the UK and, and Grousemore is largely in Scotland, the problem the problem over there is a PR problem, and it comes from a um, it comes out of a culture that you know it was the, it was sort of the landed gentry culture, right? Like so, hunting was allocated to the wealthy uh, historically, and I think this is where it's hard sometimes being an American um, to understand the perspective of someone who, and still in the UK, it's not easy. It's much more prohibitive over there bird hunting specifically, but really all hunting to get involved in a way where you have a seat at the mm -hmm. table and you have a vested interest. So like in a sense, and I'm not trying to contradict that, that like, I think we, the people, they, the people should have a collective consciousness around like the good of the species and the good of the ecosystem. But I get why they don't. Cause it's like so freaking far from their reach of most people. Right. And it's right. like, and it's weird, I think, and sad. Uh, but that's a really, I sound, just sounded like an idiot. I'm going to, I'm going to dial that back. It's not weird and not sad. It's just like, 
it's logical and yet unfortunate that there's no way, I think, in that entrenched culture of hunting there specifically, that you can't make it more, I want to say democratic, but democratic or available. You know, one of the things that I... Yeah, it's I, almost like you want to set up like a draw system, right? That anyone can go and hunt a brace, right? That So you can get preference, like the preference point system here. So that old Joe Blow down the street who loves to hunt... Could, can't could do it. Yeah, could. just could. Just could get a taste of it, you know? And it's weird because at the same time, the flip side of it, what is more democratic that I think is very cool over there is that like you can buy game in the marketplace. You know, you can go and buy wild food. And so there is this like access, but lack of access of the gathering part. And like I was saying, you know, red grouse are the, that's the, that's the top of the heap that you don't get, like, that's the rarefied air. And that's the most elite wing shooters in the world are able to shoot red grouse. And like, so, I mean, I wonder I, again, we always goes back to emotion and like where people, what's driving their decision-making. And I wonder if it's not something that's just sort of like haves and have nots, like screw you guys. Like, we're going to just kind of take this thing away from you. Cause like, we don't have access to it, you know? And it's, it becomes more of a social issue almost than an environmental issue, which is, which is so backwards in the mind of someone who's, who's in, got an environmental bent, but, um, I don't know. It all comes down to the decisions people make. Cause like we said in the beginning, you know, it's people making these decisions about what the resource does and where, how it gets managed. And I don't know. Cody. I really, I really respect that. Uh, it doesn't counter the science, what Reed just said, but I think it's a very, very valid point. Um, I think it's probably a great explanation um, across Africa as well. Um, that it makes it, it makes it, much more uh appetizing to attack when you know i mean i I was very fortunate to be given an incredibly discounted um nine days in africa but that's an expensive proposition as well i mean it's not it's not something that that everyone can do on a regular basis and some people are save up for a once in a lifetime trip to do a thing like that um, I've never really, I'm almost embarrassed that I've never really brought that thought process into any of our discussions, but I think that's a very valid point. Um, again, it doesn't counter the science. It doesn't make right. the, what these people should be doing on these lands for the best benefit of the ecosystem any different. Um, it does give some grasp to the understanding of why why their logical and ethical and scientific efforts get attacked um you know more often than they do over here where you know pretty much i mean the, the huge overwhelming majority of the united states can hunt and fish you know i mean if you've got if you've got grandpa's shotgun and you can go to walmart and be you know, 40 bucks into a dove hunt. Um, and, mm -hmm. and that's, uh, yeah, I've never really thought of it, but I like, I like that. I, it, it makes sense to me that, that it's, it's easier to attack because it's an elite activity. Mm -hmm. Well, it's almost like why trophy hunting gets such, such focus and attention, right? Right. Yeah. And, right. The, and the catch 22 in that is right. Like if that money weren't there, if it weren't, if it, my wife always says like the, the, the value in something is just lies in like what someone will do to get it right. Like it doesn't, none, it, I would love to, the, the sort of like Zen Buddhist in me would love to think that like, there's just intrinsic value, but the reality is there's not. And, uh, you know, the way our systems work, there has to be some sort of value applied to good services, resources, blah, 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 blah. And if you don't have that value applied, allocated to some of these species or experiences or opportunities that therefore makes them hard to achieve, hard to accomplish, then you don't have that finance, financial backing or resource, you know, financial resource behind you to protect the species. It's a really, it's a, it's an intricate and sort of 
contradictory reality. But like, if you did to your point, Robbie, like if you just sort of said like, oh, there's, you know, it's a draw system or it's kind of like you throw your, throw your, you send in your, your preference point and hope you get, you get trying to go grouse hunting. All of a sudden it would be worthless. And that's not good or bad. That's just a reality. And therefore the, the, the financial resource wouldn't be there. And the, probably the political resource wouldn't be there. I don't want to say that too loud, but like to protect the thing, you know? Sure. Sure. Well, um, I know we've got a couple more articles, but we're going to, I think we'll, we'll shut the article, uh, articles down there. Cause we're getting close to the top of the hour. I should ask uh, you, like to... I'm realizing like ahead, the lights in my office are off and I'm looking like a, like a ghost on this video. We feed. don't use the video. All right, good. We don't use the video. <laughs> okay, good. You're good to go. Um, let me ask this read. I will turn it over to you for the last, uh, five or so minutes. Um, number one, I'll ask you a question. What's your favorite upland bird to hunt? Rough grouse, a hundred percent. And just because it's what I, I think it's the hardest rough grouse in the upper Midwest or New England, I think are the hardest bird in the world to shoot, um, of what I've shot at. Uh, and there's just something about them. They can't be raised in captivity. They're endemic to the places where I grew up. Um, just a beautiful bird. They taste really good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know. They hang out where I like to hang out. It's kind of the yeah. The Cody, have you rough grouse hunted before? No, never. Well, it looks like we've got a standing invitation to go rough grouse hunting in the northeast. I'll tell you what, you can come with me, and then I'll find someone with actual good dogs versus my bad dogs that will actually get us into some birds. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what can happen. Although Cody's got good dogs, I hear. That seems to be the uh, word on the street. Yeah. I have a little one that vomits vomits everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lab puppy. Um, I have had, I I ran an outfitting operation in Kansas. Um, Wild pheasants and quail. I mean, deer was our biggest money and we did a ton of waterfowling. Um, I love working over dogs and have hunted upland birds in probably 10 or 15 States. Just, it's never been a rough grouse. But you, I see. I've never shot a prairie chicken, and I'm dying to shoot a prairie chicken. So you must have I've shot a prairie chicken. chicken. It's and I don't know that this is where it's always like. I I think maybe I, I know it was legal. Like we hunted prairie chickens <laughs> off off the roost. I don't. I never hunted prairie chickens in a traditional dog style hunt. Um, I've I've heard that you like pass shooting as they're flying back or flying out. Yeah. 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 I had to stop and think that. I wasn't doing something wrong in high school when we were doing that, but I, I wasn't, there was a lot of people that did it, but uh, yeah, it was kind of a past shooting thing, but I love uh, Bob white quail. I know nobody asked, but wild Bob whites would be my favorite upland to hunt. I love the rush of the covey rise. I think it's, it's a, uh, and a dog that's on a covey, but multiple dogs that you could tell if they were on a, on a single or a pair, or if they were on a big covey, just by the way they were excited. Um, and I love the dog work. Yeah. Reed, Reed, uh, where, where's Orvis upland bird hunting going? Uh, if you had your druthers, <laughs> if I had my where druthers. would you, where would, where would, where would Orvis upland bird hunting go? Yeah, boy, what an incredible question about which I spend too much energy around, which, um, you know, the, the hunting, there's a lot of variables at the company in that, like, um, we silo things, right? So we have hunt product. I oversee the guns department. We sell guns. There's hunting travel. I'm involved with that. But those are all seen as like separate businesses. And what I think I had a conversation today internally where what we forget is that like the customer doesn't see it as individual businesses. The customer sees it all as like related. The Orvis company has a longstanding and authentic and genuine and heartfelt commitment to hunting, uh, up and hunting specifically over dogs. Like the Perkins family, they're just, they all have their own string of dogs. They've all trained them themselves. They've all hunted wild birds almost exclusively like they're they're just rock solid from an integrity standpoint around that stuff and i'm not trying to belittle planted birds but that it's just they they go all in on that um and i don't think anyone knows like i don't think anyone knows that and i think that you know you look at the company that has had a um has had a reputation for being 
elite, exclusive, expensive, kind of buttoned up. Um, when I first met Simon Perkins, who's who's the youngest generation of of the Orvis company ownership, who's now the president, we went. I, I was doing a, I do some freelance writing, and I was on kind of a writing gig with a photographer I work with, and uh, he was doing a bunch of shooting for Orvis, and we wound up down here in Southern Vermont, and he was like, "You got to meet these guys. You're gonna like these guys." And I was kind of like, "Yeah, I don't, they seem like out of my, you know, out of my." sort of realm like they're they're jet setting mm-hmm. here there and everywhere doing all this cool stuff shooting driven grouse doing you know i just assumed that was who they were sure sure and i um i showed up at this cover in southern vermont and simon was there like lacing up his boots on the back of his truck his own dogs kind of in a you know he's like driving an old you know that first generation tundra like toyota tundra and you know ratty old pair of chaps on and i don't think he even we went out and we walked around for a whole morning, beautiful cover. And I think we moved one bird. It was a woodcock and, and I don't think he ever shot. And I was like, this is, I get, I, I get this guy. Like, cause this is, this is sort of me. Like he's done all this other stuff, but he still has enough passion for this that he'll go out and slog around in his backyard and like not shoot birds and like let me take the one shot we see all day just because it's like it's all it's it's good (laughs) you know it's all good (laughs) do you think do you think maybe i'm i'm misrepresenting what you're saying but i don't think i am Mm. do you think that people actually know the heart of the people that run no and i don't think they know the heart of the the I think the biggest challenge we face, and and I don't know if you guys would agree. And in fact, Cody, you and you and I had a conversation about this, or we were sort of at a table that was having a conversation about this um, at uh, uh, when we were in Belize. That um, that there's a perception in the hunting industry that what sells product, and I don't necessarily think this is wrong. What sells product is the like extreme example with the extreme end result, whether it's an incredible picture of a, of a, you know, hunting birds in South America or or shooting the zillion doves in Argentina or going to some extreme place and doing, just doing something that's like, that's like on the outer fringes of what the average person can do. And I think what Orvis is struggling with and hasn't figured out the equation on is like, that's cool. And that grabs people's eyes. And that is aspirational. Like we all want to do that. We all want to shoot, uh, you know, shoot a stone sheep with a bow, or we all want to do whatever we want to do, you know, that we want to go to those outer fringes of what's possible. But what we can't lose sight of is what's accessible to most people. And I think I told you this, Cody, when we were in Belize, like when I was growing up fly fishing, I lived in greater Boston and like, I would go to this local park where there was like dog shit on the ground and catch sunfish. And like, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And if anyone had put that up against a picture in the Orvis catalog, I would have been like, oh, like I'm lame. And so I think we struggle to tell the story in a beautiful way of look at Simon Perkins, who just has earned credibility. He's been there. He's done that. And he's a rock solid as they come but look what he does when he has a free moment in october he goes out in the backyard and slogs around and doesn't shoot birds with his own dogs and like you know whatever in his ratty mm-hmm. torn up chaps and like i don't know if i could figure that out how to tell that story in a really beautiful and compelling way and get people on board like shit i'd be i'd make, well it, it so happens no so- idea what you've done reed like you're gonna please so like to delete the last two minutes of this. Why, Reed? It so it so happens that uh, we know a, a couple of really. Oh, really yeah, yeah right. I should have said, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I teed that one up, didn't I? No, but I but I totally I totally agree with you. I think that these bigger brands, nobody really knows the intrinsic heart. Um, so, no, we are. Um, we're grateful that you came on the roundup, Reed. I um, love it. Yeah. I always, I always enjoy, you know, adding intellectual heft to our conversations. Um, <laughs> I don't, you know. I don't know if I did that, but I appreciate that you guys let me chat with you for an hour. That was great. Reed. What's your, what's your podcast? 
Orvis Hunting and Shooting Podcast. Um, available on, I don't even know. I should know this though. I think mean, on all, wherever you get podcasts. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. It's, it's probably it's probably up, uh, offered everywhere. Yeah, so, and uh, it's definitely on the Orvis um, Orvis Hunting blog. I know we link to it, and uh, yeah, and um, yeah, and this is the. I, I appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, when I met Cody down there and Daryl down in Belize, um, this to me far more than any um, specific. Uh, to me, this is the big issue in hunting. It's the stuff that you're talking about, which is like telling, telling these stories and kind of getting to the heart of what is what is good and bad what is real what is hard what is you know what's what makes this something we want to identify as because that's the thing like as soon as i met cody and daryl down there like it was very clear to me like oh these guys are hunters like they're hunters in the way that i identify hunters not as like a guy that or a woman that goes you know a week a year and kills a bunch of stuff and like that's it hang up your camo and you're done for the year but like this these are people for whom this is who they are and their identity and i think mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you're forced then to think about it in a in a really um introspective way so i appreciate the work you guys are doing i think it's awesome appreciate it thank you reed thank you guys well that's it for today i appreciate you listening as always leave a review share it with your friends and most importantly do what's right to convey the truth around hunting